Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We uh, have been teaching a, a series that we've entitled Faith Seminar for a number of weeks. And uh, I'd like to collect some uh, loose thoughts, tie up some loose ends uh, tonight. I, I don't know if I'm going to continue this after the holidays or not. I, I don't plan that far out, to be honest with you. I, I go from week to week, whatever I feel like the Lord wants me to do. But um, if, uh, if we don't go any further after Christmas, then this will be a good place to end. And if we do go further, then it will just be a foundation to jump off from again. So in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed. The word framed is an interesting word. It, um, uh, it, it literally means to perfect or to join together. It's a, it's a building term. The, um, um, my dad was involved in uh, construction, different areas of construction for uh, most of his adult life. And a couple of summers I worked with carpenters. Now, there were different kinds of carpenters. Uh, there were finished carpenters. Those were the guys that did the trim work and, and all the kind of stuff after the house was built. But they were just called finished carpenters. And then there were the real carpenters. They were the guys that did the building. They were framers. We'd take the lumber and, and start with a set of plans and from the foundation and, and build it up, put the roof on it, tie it all together, and then hand it off to the next group coming in. This is what this is talking about. It says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. In other words, words build worlds. Words build worlds. It says, through faith we understand that the worlds were created, the worlds were framed, built literally by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I don't think there's any more confusing way the translators could have made that. I like to paraphrase it, so that things which are seen were made from things which are unseen. What unseen things? Well, it was the word of God that framed the worlds. So he's saying that everything that was seen was made by unseen words. Now, I'll draw your attention back to Genesis chapter 1 because that's what it's talking about. It's talking about when God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2, and the earth was without form. Literally, the earth became without form. God didn't make it that way. But the earth became without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, so many times when it comes to, to, to the subject of faith or people just looking for God's help, in, in whatever they want to term it, uh, Christians so often are looking for God to show up. Well, if God just showed up, well, if we could just get God to show up, folks, I would submit to you that the Holy Ghost was there. God had showed up, yet nothing happened until he spoke. The next verse, verse 4 says, and God said, or verse 3, I guess it is, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. You need to understand something. Without the spoken word, the power of God is not made available. The power of God is not put in action. It doesn't matter how much power is there. It doesn't matter how present God is. It's the word of God that activates him. It's the word of God that activates him. You remember the story in, um, when Jesus was in his own hometown of Capernaum. He was in his own house teaching. It says that there were doctors of the law, Pharisees and others that were sitting by. The house was full. Nobody could else could get in. And it says the power of the Lord was present to heal them. It says the power was there. But it wasn't activated until the four guys tore off the roof and left the crippled guy down on the bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Boy, that created a problem. All the religious people, the, the ones that know everything, they said, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus said, well, it's forgiving sins is the same as healing the sick. Which is easier to say? 
Man, your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. He said, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. Must mean they're the same thing. He said to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up your bed and walk. And he did. It's speaking or acting on the word. Now, in their case, there was nothing that we have record of that was spoken. But you can certainly see their faith in action because they were willing to tear up somebody's roof and let him down through the middle. I don't know how that exactly worked. I don't really see Jesus' house being set up like a church where there's room up here in the front. I'm thinking that when he starts letting this guy down, when the poor guys start letting this guy down on the bed, they're letting him down on top of people that are standing there. People are having to scramble and back up to make room for him. I'd love to have seen that, wouldn't you? It's acting on the word. It's an act of faith. Either through confessing the word, speaking the word of God, we see that that's an act of faith. On God's part, God said, let there be light. God didn't do anything. God said it. The worlds were framed by the word of God. Words build worlds. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in building any worlds except mine. I don't care about another planet out there. I know for Christmas sometimes as a gift, sometimes people will have a, a star named after them or something like that. What a waste of time. Who cares? I don't care about other worlds. I care about mine. Don't you? Your words frame your world. And that's the whole point. That's everything that the Bible's trying to get across to you. Turn back with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Jesus, the last week of his life here on the earth, explained to the disciples what faith was all about. He cursed the fig tree, and the next morning the the fig tree was dried up from the roots. Peter calling to remember said master the fig tree which thou cursest yesterday is withered away and Jesus answering said unto them verse 22 have faith in God or have the faith of God well it must have something to do with faith then some of the things that are changed supernatural circumstances or supernatural events that change circumstances must have something to do with faith because that's what Jesus identified have faith in God now notice he said in such a way that it couldn't be anybody that uses faith Jesus didn't say, yeah, this happened because of me. He didn't say, yeah, I've been trying to tell you guys for three years that I'm the son of God. And this is just to prove that. No, he said, have faith in God. That means anybody can. Anybody can. In other words, it's a principle. It's a spiritual law. It's not designed for just a select few. It's not designed for somebody that has something extra more than somebody else has or some. You know, you'll have people say, well, Pastor Mike, I just don't have your kind of faith. Well, you can have. We all can have. We can have the same kind of faith that God has. That's what Jesus is saying. It's a spiritual principle. It's a spiritual law. Spiritual laws work for everybody. It's like physical laws. The law of gravity doesn't just work for me and not for you, does it? It works for all of us because it's a law. Spiritual laws are the same way. Spiritual laws always work for whoever will work them. And now Jesus is going to tell you how to work it. Have faith in God, verse 22 for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass he shall have whatsoever he saith notice Jesus is saying that faith is about words faith is about the speaking of words whosoever shall say first thing he says about faith is it's speaking to the problem Faith is about speaking to the problem. Faith is about speaking to your circumstance. Faith is about framing your world. Saying the same thing. Different words, but you're talking about exactly the same principle. Your world can be framed. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, frame your own world. 
frame your own world by speaking, by the words of your mouth. It wasn't just God's words that work. God didn't create the world because he has something, the ability to do something that nobody else does. Jesus is just telling us that. Jesus isn't even saying that he can do it because he's the son of God. He said this is a spiritual law that works for everybody. Use your words. Speak to the mountain. You don't like where it is, tell it to move. Now, I don't think he's really talking about moving mountains, literal mountains. I think he's using a mountain that uh, is in that location as an example of a big problem, something that stands in your way or an obstacle. If you don't like what's in your way, speak to it. Notice he didn't say talk to God about it. He said speak to it. Your words frame your worlds. Your words frame your world. Speak to your problem. Don't speak to God about your problem. Speak to your problem. Why? Because it's not God talking to your problem that's going to do it. God doesn't have authority over your problem in heaven. Why? Jesus delegated that authority to us. Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, said, All power is given in me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore into the earth. Well, Jesus, what good does it do us if you've got all power in heaven and earth? He's saying, I'll take care of things in heaven. You take care of things on the earth. Well, if he gave us authority to operate here on the earth, then who's got the authority? Us or him? We do. That's why the Bible says for you to use your words. You to use your words. You know, this goes even to the most basic thing, and that is getting saved. God will not usurp your authority to use your words to get saved. He won't force you to speak and confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You have to make that choice. Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come unto me. Not whosoever God chooses, he'll come. No, whosoever will. It's your choice. And how do you make that choice? How do you make the choice for Jesus to be the Lord of your life? You believe in your heart that God raised Jesus Jesus from the dead and you confess him as your Lord and Savior. You speak words to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Well, if it works that way to get saved and we know that we're saved by faith, Ephesians 2.8, everybody agrees to it with Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. If we know that we're saved by faith, well, then that must mean faith, faith is a spiritual law. Because salvation works the same way for everybody. You didn't get saved one way and I got saved another way. Now there may be some circumstances, some minor details that were different in the way that we got saved. But it all comes down to basically the same thing. We used our mouth and believed in our heart to confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the only way anybody can get saved. Why? Because it's a spiritual law. That's what Jesus is saying. Have faith in God. Here's the spiritual law that anybody can utilize. Here's the spiritual law that anybody can operate. Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever God wants. No. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Your words frame your world. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 4. We've looked at this before, but I want you to see it in this context. Oh, wait a minute. Don't go there yet. Let me remind you of something. In Genesis chapter 1 where it says, and God said, let there be light. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, read to you from Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. I want you to see something about this. Here's part of the spiritual law. God had a plan in mind when he said, let there be light. Now, it doesn't tell us what his plan was, but God had to have a picture of what he wanted to, uh, to accomplish when he said, let there be light and let the, uh, the heavens be divided from, or the firmament be divided from the land and, and let the fish multiply and all the stuff he said. 
I'm not referring to it very well, but you know what I'm trying to get to. He had a picture in mind when he said it. He didn't just speak words and wonder what was going to happen. Now, the reason that we know that is in Proverbs chapter 8. Let me start reading in verse, uh, verse 22. It's wisdom speaking in the first person. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the, wor- the earth was. In other words, God had wisdom and used wisdom to create the worlds through his words before anything existed. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled. Before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the earth, or the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth. When he established the clouds above. When he strengthened the fountains of the deep. When he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment. When he appointed the foundations of the earth. Then was I by him as one brought up with him. And I was daily his delight rejoicing always before him. Rejoicing in the habitable part of the earth. And my delights were with the sons of men. One translation says uh, then was I in verse 30. Then was I by him as one brought up. Um, Several other translations say as a master craftsman. In other words God had a plan. Now, how did God have a plan? What was it that God transferred his plan, whatever image he had that did not yet exist? He's looking into the darkness. The earth is without, has, has become without form and void. He's looking into the darkness. The Holy Ghost is there. The power of God is there to do whatever he wants. But the power is waiting on the words. Now, how did he transmit his desire for, for the earth that we know of and everything that we know about this, this physical realm. How did he transfer that desire into reality? By speaking words. By speaking words. It was his words that caused the picture that he had. I hate to say it this way, but I don't know any other way to say it. The picture that God had on the inside of him into reality. And that's what words do. Words create pictures. If there's, if I could, uh, if you and I had a similar experience of somewhere that we'd been before, without having been there for a long time, we could talk ourselves and uh, through the, the whole experience, relive our experience of the last time that we were there by talking about what the front door looks like and what the inside foyer looks like and, and go from room to room of whatever place we're talking about because words transmit pictures and that's the way they're designed. They're carriers. Words are carriers. They're containers. God's words carry power. The devil's words carry destructive power. But words are always containers. Words are always containers. Now turn with me over to Matthew, or uh, what I say, Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Jesus tells the parable of the sower sowing the word. I'll start reading in verse 2. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine. Hearken, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased. And brought forth some thirty and some sixty and some a hundred. 
And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable. Now notice verse 11. Verse 11 is a key phrase. He says, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. So Jesus is telling them, This explanation I'm going to give you about this parable is going to help you to understand the whole thing about the kingdom of God. The mystery, the unknown aspects of the whole of the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, if you can learn this truth of this parable, you can understand the kingdom of God easily. Which is why most of the church world doesn't know beans about God or his kingdom. Because they don't accept the truth of this. So he said, unto you is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. You know, it's, it, it's uh, Proverbs... Um, well, Proverbs 16, somewhere in Proverbs 16, it says this. It says, the foolish strive for knowledge and never find it. But knowledge is easy to him that has understanding. It's amazing how simple the things of God become when you know the principles, you know the basics. And the things that everybody else seems to struggle over and strive. And, well, you never know what God's going to do and, and all this kind of stuff. You can always know what God's going to do. That becomes no problem to somebody that understands the basics. Jesus is giving them the basics. Unto you is no, it is to given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, without understanding, in other words, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they, any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. I want you to notice something, folks. God's not interested in making it easy for people that don't really care. Now, once you make wisdom your pursuit, then he does make it easy. The things of God become simple. They become easy to understand. But you've got to take the first step. You've got to do a little digging on your own. Then Jesus explains, verse 13, he said unto them, know ye not this parable? How then will you know all parables? In other words, he's saying this one's the key to understanding every parable I give you. This must be pretty important. It's the key to understanding the mystery of the kingdom of God. It's the key to understanding every parable that he's going to teach them. The sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. Who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And have no root in themselves. And so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they likewise, which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. I want you to see there are two basic things I want you to get about this. There are a lot of things we can talk about and things we have talked about concerning this parable. But two things I want you to get. The sower sows the word. In other words, the word is the seed. The word of God is the seed that he's talking about. The second thing is that the ground is people. Can you see those two things? Those are the two basic elements that I want you to see. Now, there are different characteristics of different types of people and, and the way that they give attention or fail to give attention to the word and so forth. And all those are important elements that we could talk about, but I don't want to take time to do it tonight. I want you to see that the word of God is the seed, and secondly, the ground is the people. Look with me over now to uh, verse 26. Jesus said, he's talking about the same stuff 
Same example, same explanation. And he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Now, what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God would be everything that that God has created, everything that God's in charge of, wouldn't it? The earth, when it was first created, before it fell into the hands of of, uh, the law of sin and death because of Adam's transgression, would have been the kingdom of God because there was nothing to hurt man. Everything in heaven would have to be the kingdom of God because there's nothing that can hurt man. God's in total control. God's not in total control here on the earth now. So we can't say that the earth is the kingdom of God now, but there are aspects of the the characteristics or elements of what Jesus has purchased for us that aren't the kingdom of God. For example, Luke chapter 10, verse 9, I think it is. Jesus is giving his the 70 instruction, and he said, Go into the cities where I'm sending you and preach. And well, he said this. He said, heal the sick and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. So healing must be part of the kingdom of God. The, the, a similar story when Jesus sends out the 12 in uh, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says it this way. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers and cast out devils and tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the only difference there is he calls, um, Luke calls it, says Jesus called it the kingdom of God. Matthew says that Jesus called it the kingdom of heaven. What is the difference in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? It's where God controls things, isn't it? It's where God rules, isn't it? Is there any difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? Well, I don't want to get to heaven and find out God's not in charge. Do you? Well, is it possible for God not to be in charge of his kingdom, whatever is called the kingdom of God? Well, then they have to be interchangeable terms. I know some people try to split hairs and say, well, the kingdom of heaven means that's the place that God lives. Well, I thought God lived in us. The Bible talks about walking in the word, even in the Old Testament, keeping the commandments of God and experience heaven on earth. I'm not willing to split hairs over it. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are one and the same as far as I'm concerned. I can't see any scriptures that differentiates between them. He's talking about that which God rules over. Well, Jesus has just delivered authority under the 70 and under the 12 in the two references we gave you, Matthew 10 and Luke 10. And he tells them, go heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and tell people the kingdom of God has come nigh to you. So that it must be associated with those things, those elements of healing and, and deliverance and so forth. Those must be part of the kingdom of God. So notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, so is the kingdom of God. That means everything that's a part of what Jesus accomplished for us. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Now, what did we find out the seed was? The first parable he told them, the seed is the word of God. What's the ground? The heart of man. People. So let's use it that way. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast, by speaking, speak the word of God into his own heart. So is the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is saying, if you understand this, you can understand everything about the kingdom of God. You can understand the mystery, the the hidden secrets that so many people will miss. But if you can get this, if you can understand this, you can understand everything about how God works and how his kingdom operates. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. We know the kingdom of God is healing. So is healing as if a man should speak the word of God in his own heart. So is deliverance, as if a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. Folks, I don't want to get technical on you here, but I want to to show you something. 
I'm going to take for granted without turning there that you know that Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says that God has delivered to every man or dealt to every man the measure of faith. When do you get the measure of faith? See, some people think the measure of faith is saving faith. It's not. Romans chapter 10 says that you can't believe on Jesus without having heard. And that having heard brings faith. That faith comes by hearing. That having heard of Jesus and his resurrection brings you faith to get saved. But that's not the measure of faith. Because what if you heard a better preacher than I heard? Do you get more? Do you get more than me? That's not the measure of faith. That's faith to believe unto Jesus. That's faith to believe upon the name of Jesus. You know how the measure of faith comes? Romans 10, 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. The measure of faith is dealt to you at the moment that you become born again. What makes you to become born again? Your words. When you speak and confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are planning God's word that you heard with your physical ear from somebody telling you or preaching to you or whatever. You're planting God's word into your own heart. And that planting of the seed creates the measure of faith. And everybody starts off with the same one because everybody makes the same confession. Now, how do you measure faith? If there's a measure of faith, there's got to be a great measure and a lesser, level, a lesser measure. How do you measure faith? Very simply, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast, speak the word of God into his own heart. Your measure of faith is the degree to which you have spoken the word of God into your own heart. And remember, words are containers, not just God's words. All words are containers. You speak God's word and it increases your measure of faith. You speak the devil's word, it decreases. That measure of faith goes down, it diminishes because now you've corrupted it. Have you ever noticed that the, uh, the, the, the curse is just out there? You don't have to believe for the curse. It's just there. It just works. You don't have to have faith in the curse. It'll just work anyway. Let me read to you again verses 26 and, uh, through 28. And he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground, speak the word into his own heart, and should sleep and rise night and day. So it doesn't work overnight, does it? And should sleep and rise night and day. And the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. I'm so glad I don't have to know how it all works. That's a great relief for me. Because I'm one that would try to pick things apart. Until it's way past dead. And I don't have to know. But what do I do? I have to speak. I don't have to know. I have to speak. I can do that. Even I can do that. And should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest is come. Last year, Beth and I put in a garden, a raised garden bed. It's about uh, 22 inches off the ground. Really, all it is is just a, um, a kind of a block outline of where we wanted to plant a garden. The reason I didn't plant it into the ground is because the, the, the soil we've got at our house is just terrible. I mean, it's just clay. You try to dig into that stuff, and it's like concrete. You just can't grow anything in it. And so I wanted to raise garden bed. Well, I, I wanted tomatoes. I want to grow homegrown tomatoes. I've always lived, until I moved to California, I've always lived somewhere that was close to farm or country or something like that. Man, I started eating store-bought tomatoes and thought, what in the world are these red things? Man, I just couldn't handle it. 
for years there was somebody in the church that had a big garden. They'd bring us tomatoes. But then they quit planting their stuff. So I figured, okay, I'm going to have to do this on my own. So I, I wanted to find out where can I get the best soil possible. I'm not Farmer John, so I needed to find out from somebody else. I needed to, to tap into somebody else's wisdom. So I started calling around, checking on things, and spent a lot of time trying to figure out who's got what and what's good and what's not good and that kind of stuff. found a great place. Guy, I mean, this guy is a soil expert. So I told him what I wanted to do, told him the size of the garden bed and all that kind of stuff. And so he said, listen, he said, uh, so I told him, you know, in all my wisdom. I said, so what I need is I need the best topsoil you got. And he said, that's not what you need. I said, sure it is. I need topsoil. He said, no, that's not what you need. I said, what do you mean it's not what I need? Of course it's what I need. I'm planting a garden. He said, that's not what you need. He said, we've got a blend of stuff. He said, there's topsoil, there's compost, and there's mulch. He said, that'll grow anything. Well, man, I'm thinking... I found the right guy. He's got magic dirt. <laughs> so I arranged to have a truckload of stuff brought out and told him how much it would, would and, you know, how, what the size of the thing was. And so he arranged it. They brought it out there. Man, you've never seen dirt like that in your life. My goodness, it's the prettiest soil I've ever seen. And I don't know anything about dirt, but, man, that was good-looking dirt. So I'm watching them. They're shoveling it in, shovelful by shovelful. I'm watching that thing, and I'm seeing tomatoes. I'm watching tomatoes grow. They're shoveling dirt, and I'm watching tomatoes. And and all the time, they're putting this stuff in. And, man, it was so nice. And I got out there after they left, and I raked it. And I made it all pretty and kind of set it out a little bit and marked it a little bit where I was going to grow different stuff, squash over here and tomatoes over here, that kind of thing. Had it all ready. But then I got busy. And so for about two weeks, I was delayed in my planning. I was planning to get to it quicker than I did. But for about two weeks, I wasn't able to do anything. Well, I went back out there after two weeks, hadn't really paid a lot of attention to it. And, man, I had the biggest crop of weeds you've ever seen in your life. I mean, it was a huge crop of weeds, and I never planted a weed. Not one. Have you ever noticed that this curse will work without even believing for it? It's in operation in the earth. That's what it means about the man exercising dominion. You're going to have to exercise dominion to overcome the curse that's already working. You can't just sit back and say, take the attitude. And look at how much of the church does this. Sit back and say, well, whatever God wills is what will happen. Have you ever noticed that's always bad stuff? Nobody winds up being a millionaire and say, man, God willed that. No, you always hear these stories about tragedy or how God took somebody's business or destroyed their house in a fire or some stupid thing like that. Well, I guess that was the will of God. No, that's the curse that's already in operation in the earth. You've got to take dominion over the curse that's in operation. Folks, this is what's, what could be called the dominion principle. So I, I got out there in my soil. Man, I mean, I was mad. Thinking, how dare you weeds. I started pulling weeds for everything I could was worth. After about an hour, I got everything out of there. I raked it again, marked it out. Came back in about four days. These weeds are back. Thinking, my goodness, what in the world have I gotten hold of? I'm thinking, this soil is lousy. But folks, let me tell you something. Soil will grow anything. Good soil will grow anything, good or bad. I raked it again. I pulled every weed, got all of it out of there. But this time I did it when I was ready to plant. I didn't do it getting ready to plant. I did it while I had the stuff ready to go. And so what I did is I cleared it off, raked it out, marked it off, and planted immediately. Never had a problem with weeds after that. Because here's what you need to know. The way to exercise the dominion principle is that you have to plant good seed so that the ground has something to produce. 
That's the way it is with your spirit. You've got to plant good seeds so that your heart has something to produce because it'll produce something, positive or negative. The curse is going forth. The curse is in operation in the earth. You've got to choke out the curse or take dominion over the curse by planting seed into your own heart. So is the kingdom of God in every aspect of the kingdom of God, prosperity, healing, deliverance, whatever. Every aspect of the kingdom of God is like this. So is the kingdom of God is if a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. Why? Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You can get a measure, a, a, a small measure. You can get a little bit of faith by hearing me or somebody else preach on faith. You can hit, listen to a service and come out of there charged up. But you'll notice that charge doesn't last long. You know why it doesn't last long? Because what you hear preached, the truth of God's word that you hear preached, is designed by God to do something. And that is, it's designed for you to speak it to yourself. So if you just hear a service, it doesn't matter how good it is. Man, I've been in services of Brother Hagin. I felt like I could fly home. Man, what a service. Next day, I feel just as bad as I did the day before. Thinking, how in the world could things wear off that quickly? They wear off that quickly because we don't act on what we've heard. The way you act on what you've heard is for you to say it. Whatever scripture, whatever truth got you excited, speak it. Because you listen to what you say more than anybody else. And anybody that says they don't is a liar. You ladies know this. You can have 10 people tell you, you look great in that dress. You look at yourself and say, I'm fat. And then sometimes we husbands are stupid enough to get into the conversation with you. (laughs) We should learn. Honey, does this dress make me look fat? Wow, did you see that on TV? (laughs) This direction is the best answer. The reason we, we lose the things that we've heard from somebody else speaking is because our spirit doesn't take hold of the things somebody else says nearly like they take hold of what we say. So whatever you hear said that excites you, whatever you hear that charges you spiritually, you say it because that's what the kingdom of God's about. The kingdom of God is not just about the word of God being true. It's about you speaking the word of God into your own heart. Let me close with this. Turn with me over to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained life precious faith with us. What in the world is he talking about? He's talking about the same measure of faith that he got when he got saved. That doesn't mean that we're all stuck on the, the, same, the starting measure it means we all have the same faith. Whatever you've done with it, whatever Peter's done with it, we all have the same faith. But we develop it in different degrees based on our willingness to speak the word of God into our hearts. Why? Because that's how the kingdom of God works. Everything about the kingdom of God is, is, as, is as a man speaking the word into his own spirit. Paul talked to, the, to uh, one of the churches he wrote to, and he said, your faith groweth exceedingly. What does that mean? That means they're growing in faith. How? There's only one way to grow in faith, folks, and that's to put it in practice. How do we do that? So is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak the word of God into his heart. It's the only way you can grow. It's the only thing. So he's talking to people that have the same like precious faith, not the same measure, but the same faith of God. This same faith of God is what Jesus used to curse the fig tree in Mark 11. 
to them that have obtained like, uh, like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God. Notice how it comes. By being made righteous. That means to be born again. Through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, how many of you have heard me give the definition, my definition of grace? There's all kinds of definitions of grace out there. Probably the most common one uh, from Strong's is uh, unmerited favor. I really don't like that definition because I hear unmerited favor and focused so much of my life on the unmerited part. I grew up in a church that majored in the unmerited. So I never heard favor. I just heard unmerited. I just heard unworthy. Well, I don't think the grace of God, which includes everything Jesus purchased for us, should make me feel unworthy, should it? The Bible says the blood of Jesus made me worthy. So what I want to look at unmerited favor for? I just don't like that definition. So I've created my own definition, not from the, the Greek or the, uh, the meaning of the word so much, but as the understanding of what the Scripture teaches us about what grace is. Grace is God extending his hand toward man. Well, how did he do that? He sent Jesus. So the grace of God basically, basically, not by definition, but basically is everything Jesus accomplished for us. It's the finished work of Jesus. But there's a problem with that definition too. The problem with that definition is because it is, is that it's clinical. It's technical. We can say that the grace of God is everything Jesus purchased for us. And that's exactly right. But it takes away the attitude or the, 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 uh, the understanding. It leaves out the understanding of God's willingness to show his power on our behalf. Because everything about the finished work of Jesus was because of God's willingness to activate his power for you. So when you think of grace, don't just think of the finished work of Jesus. Don't just listen to my definition and say, well, it's just the finished work of Jesus. It is. But the reason it's the finished work of Jesus is because of God's willingness to use his power on your behalf. God was so willing to use his power for you that he gave you Jesus. Well, I wonder if God stopped being willing to use his power. Did that just stop when Jesus was raised from the dead and God said, well, too bad, you're on your own now. No. You access everything Jesus accomplished through his resurrection, his sacrifice and his resurrection because of God's willingness for his power to be continually used on your behalf. How do you access that? The Bible says it's through faith. So is the kingdom of God. So is the willingness of God to use his power for you. As if a man should speak the word of God into his heart. It's all part of the kingdom of God. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How's it going to be multiplied? I like that multiplied stuff. I like God's willingness to use his power being multiplied for me. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Folks, if we take just that one scripture, you'd have to realize that no Christian will ever access the willingness of God to use his power that was displayed in the finished work of Jesus, the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus, unless they know about God and about Jesus. If you don't know, God's not obligated to use his power. If you don't know, faith is always based on knowledge. Results are based on knowledge. We've got too many Christians that are living according to what they think in the world, living according to the world's way of doing things, rather than getting into the Bible and finding out what's there. And isn't that what Jesus was talking about in the whole parable of the sower, sowing the word? Isn't he talking about different ground because of people giving different degrees of attention? 
to the Word of God, putting the Word of God in different uh, places of priority in their life, if at all? Isn't that exactly what that story was about? Well, sure it is. So what's he saying? He's saying if you don't get into the Word and find out, then you're going to miss out on the multiplied grace and peace of God. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto us. Has given unto us. That's past tense. Has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. God has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, folks, can I ask you a question? What do we need if it's not part of life and godliness? What is there, what possible thing could we come up with and say, now, Lord, I know you've given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, but we need this too. There's nothing in life that exists that we need that's good for us, that enables us to, to walk in the things of God, that enables us to be the people that God destined for us to be, to walk in prosperity, to walk in healing. None of those things, nothing outside of those things would be necessary or important for us to have. We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's everything you could ever really want in life. I mean, unless you just want to do evil. If you want to do evil, you're talking to the wrong person if you're speaking to God about it. I know there's some people that run from God and try to do their own thing, but nobody's praying, God, give me some evil thing, are they? That's a new one for me if they are. It says, according as his divine power has given us, has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How are we going to get all those things that have been given? Notice it's not a matter of praying that God will give you something. Anytime the church is praying that God will give them something without the knowledge of what's already been given, they're wasting their prayers. How many millions of prayers are wasted every day? And remember, words are containers. Words contain either, either power, the dominion principle to overcome the curse that's already in the earth, or they're words that operate according to the curse of the earth, the curse is in operation in the earth. It's either going to boost your faith by speaking the word, or it's going to diminish your faith. I would submit to you that a lot of the church's prayers, if not most of them, are prayers that just enforce the curse in their own lives. Notice he said, according as his divine power is given unto us, all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him that has called us. Through the knowledge of him that has called us. Him that has called us is Jesus. Through the knowledge of Jesus. In other words, finding out what Jesus did for you is the key to taking part or accessing all the things that God has given you. Called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us Exceeding great and precious promises, meaning scriptures, the word of God. That's where we find the knowledge of what's been given to us. That by these scriptures, truths, the word of God, you might be partakers. How do you partake? So is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak the word of God in his own heart. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these words of God, you might be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption is in the world through lust. Wait a minute. I thought Peter talked about people in, in verse 1. I thought he talked about people that are already made righteous. Well, what's divine nature then? If they've already been made righteous, what's he talking about? 
may, that we might be partakers of the divine nature. We've already been made righteous through confessing Jesus as our Lord. We've got the same like precious faith. So what's the divine nature? He can't be talking about being made righteous or more righteous than we were when we got saved. You don't grow in righteousness. You're either righteous or unrighteous. Righteous by the blood of Jesus, and that doesn't grow. You can grow in the knowledge of it. You can grow in the experience of it, but you can't grow in righteousness. You'll never be any more righteous or any less righteous than the moment you were born again and Jesus came into your heart. So what's this divine nature stuff he's talking about? He's talking about all those things that pertain to life and godliness that are already given to us. He's saying that we'd be partakers of everything that Jesus purchased for us. And notice how it comes? It comes by the word. How does it, how does the word work? So is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. Folks, you ought to be looking for every opportunity to say, not because it's some ritual and you're trying to make something happen, but to speak the word of God into your own heart. Remember where we started in Hebrews 11, verse 1? It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The more you speak the word of God into your heart, the more that measure of faith increases. Now, if faith can be measured, that means there can be great faith or little faith. That means there can be strong faith or weak faith. Faith is measurable. You choose your measure of faith, and you choose by speaking the word of God into your own spirit, letting yourself hear you say the word of God. Say what God's word says about you. The more you do that, the more you build yourself up spiritually. The more you build yourself up in spiritual strength, you become the, the, thing, the substance of things hoped for becomes assurance and not just some pipe dream. And it comes through speaking the word. It comes through saying what God's word says about you. It comes by saying what God's word says. It comes by speaking, you speaking God's word. The evidence of things not seen. You know why we need evidence of things not seen? The difference between things not seen and things that are not real is a very real difference. You can't have evidence of something that's not real. You can't have evidence of something that doesn't exist. But faith, speaking God's word, saying what God's word says, is the evidence of things that you can't see. It's the proof. The proof. Who are you trying to prove it to? You're trying to prove something to God? No, he knows who you are. He knows what you've got. He knows what Jesus purchased for you. It's the proof in this world dominated by the law of sin and death. It's the proof that you believe in the reality of what can't be seen with the physical eye. That's why faith is so important. Faith is the means whereby you reach through the barrier between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. And you pull those truths, spiritual truths, spiritual blessings that belong to you into this physical realm. Faith is talked about as a hand. Faith is talked about receiving. You receive with your hands, don't you? If somebody's going to hand you something, you take hold of it. You don't try to grab it with your feet. You take hold of it with your hands. Faith has a hand. When you speak the word of God, when you act on the word of God, it's the same thing as reaching out with your hands, spiritual hands and taking hold of it and pulling it towards you. The more you speak, the more that measure of faith grows and increases, the closer and closer and closer those things come. Well, how close is it, Pastor Mike? I don't know. I don't know because I can't see it. At least I can't see it with my physical eye. But boy, there are things I can see with my spiritual eyes. I'm believing for my healing. I believe my healing is real. Jesus, the Bible says Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. I don't have it in physical form. I don't have it in physical form, and that's obvious. My hand shakes. You want to show, watch me ladle soup.
But enjoy the show while it lasts because it's not going to last long. How do I know? Because faith is the evidence of it. What I hope for, my hope is turned into confidence because the Bible says Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. Well, how do you know it's going to work, Pastor Mike? Because this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what healing is, is like, as if a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. Well, how many times do you have to say it? Really, only once. Well, how many times do you say it? As often as I can. Why? Because I want to get stronger and stronger in faith. I want to come out of this thing with a... <laughs> well, I won't tell you that. I want to come through this thing stronger than I ever went in. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, can you be sure? Yeah, I can be sure. How do you know? Because God said so. And it's impossible for God to lie. You know why? Because God's words are containers of power. It's impossible for God to say something in power and not make it work. All he needs is a willing participant. That's me. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak the word of God into his own heart. You got it? Do you see it? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that your word is true. We thank you, Father, that because it's true, we can declare with boldness. Declare with boldness that you have given us all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. That you have given us all things. Have given. Not going to give. There's nothing left for you to give. You have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Oh, Father, we thank you that we can access and partake of everything that Jesus purchased for us through his death, burial, and resurrection by speaking your word into our own hearts. <coughs> Excuse me. Father, we declare ourselves to be good ground, good ground that produces fruit, good ground that speaks the word of God and holds fast to it. We thank you, Father, that we'll turn into 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold ground because we hold fast to the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.